G'day friends, welcome back. It's that time of year again. It's ladder prediction time. Everyone's favourite thing to do when you're a footy fan. Wrongly predict what's going to happen this year. No one ever gets these right. There's some things that you can get, you know, pretty bang on. It's pretty easy to predict, you know, who's going to be roughly around the top and who's roughly going to be around the bottom, but it's getting them bang on. That's the really hard thing to do. Uh, for example, uh, last year I had a Geelong, I think, in 14th. <laughs> and we know what happened there. In the past, I've had... Richmond on the bottom in 2017, we know what happened there. I had Collingwood on the bottom in 2018, we know what happened there. So sometimes you just get things about as wrong as you can get them. And that happens to me quite a lot. But here I am having another go. So I've done my, so I've done two ladder predictions is what I've done. I've done one just off gut feeling and thinking about trades and thinking about how clubs move up and down and new coaches and this and that, those sort of things. So I've done one based on that. And then I've been on the AFL's ladder predictor. And I've gone through every single game of the season, tried to roughly predict a margin, done all that. And it has given me another ladder. Um, and the results are interesting. I've also done my predicted premier Brownlow medalist, Coleman medalist, rising star winner. So let's get into it. Now, should I, should I go, no, I'll go from 18th to first, or should I go first to 18th, which is more, no, I think I'll go 18th through to first, then it's more of like a countdown. I think that's more interesting to listen to. Okay. In 18th position, I think this is actually, now watch me be wrong, <laughs> but I think this is the easiest team to predict for the wooden spoon since the expansion clubs of more than a decade ago now. It's going to be Hawthorne. Hawthorne are going to finish bottom. Um, I think if they can win more than four games for the year, I think that will be an enormous achievement. But you look at, like, they're doing a hard rebuild. This is, they've culled their whole list. They've got nothing left. Right, last year... McAvoy retires. Shields ends up at North Melbourne. O'Meara at Fremantle. Mitchell at um, Collingwood. Um, there's, an, there's one or two. Oh, Gunston goes to Brisbane. They've got no team left. They've got no team left. I've been crunching the numbers, right? They have 12 players who have played 50 games or more, which isn't too bad. Of those 12, seven who have played 100 or more, and of those seven, only two who have played 200-plus games 
at the entire club. Now, to put that in a little bit of context, right, that might not sound too bad, um, but just to give that a bit of perspective, I've compared them to North Melbourne, another team that people don't think are going to do amazing this year, right? So North Melbourne, now remember, 50 games plus at Hawthorne, 12 players, okay? At North Melbourne, 21 have played 50 games or more. 21, right? Of those 21, 11 have played 100 or more and 4 have played 200 or more with Goldstein on 295. So you, you think that North and Hawthorne are both probably like bottom four teams or bottom six teams. North are basically, in, when you look at those brackets of 50, 100, 200 games, North are twice as experienced as Hawthorne. This is This is where Hawthorne are at. Now that's like a lot of people seem to have a lot of confidence in Hawthorne. Excuse me, and they've still got good players. Like the, like their new captain Sicily is a gun. They've still got Bruce. They've still got Impey. They've still got a couple others who sort of experienced Frost, Hardwick. Um, but they've just they've culled too much to have any success this year. Probably they're probably looking at four years plus before they are regularly competitive again. They're doing what North Melbourne did, what, five years ago. And North are still a bottom six team. So, yeah, Hawthorne finished bottom for me. In 17th, I've got the Eagles. Now, the Eagles were really, really tough because they had a really rough year last year. They had lots of injuries early and COVID. They had all sorts of issues that weren't their fault, really. But I still... I think they're sort of in no man's land. They got a lot of old players and a lot of young players and not heaps in the middle. Right? They, they you know, they got McGovern and Shuey and Nat Nui and these guys who are 30 plus, but then they haven't like that's fine if you've also got a good core of players who are sort of in their mid 20s and they don't have much of that. So that that is what really worries me. If a couple of those more experienced guys go down or the year just gets a bit long for them, especially now with an extra round, um, I think they're really going to struggle. I think they're going to struggle. They should still win a few games at home. And look, even though I've got them second bottom, they could end up winning eight games for the year or thereabouts just because they do play very well at home. But I more realistically see them winning between four and six that's sort of where I have them at. In 16th, I've got the Bombers. Um, they're just, they're still developing. I think I think it's going to be hard for them. Like, again, they could, if you want to break this into brackets, they could finish anywhere. Like, I don't see them bottom two. I'd be amazed if they really, really bottomed out this year. But anywhere from 16th to like 12th is probably realistic for the Bombers. It's hard to pin them. I just think new coach, albeit an experienced new coach um, and they still got a relatively young team it's going to take them a little bit they're going to be better than last year um, probably in terms of percentage which is a good thing to look at when you're looking at improvement rather than wins and losses um, but yeah I think bottom four is still where they're going to be and then in 15th I have the Giants I think it's going to be a rough year for them New coach, first-time coach is always rough. 
uh, for a new coach, and they've just got no more midfield left. Hopper and Taranto go to Richmond. They've got nothing left now. <laughs> they're they're two, like, two of their best midfielders. <laughs> and so I really think they're going to struggle. I think it seems like Himmelberg is going to go back to centre-half forward. I think that's a mistake. I think I think they, they're going to really, really struggle defensively, though a good back line they have. But, God, I thought Himmelberg was unbelievable when he was thrown back in the second half of last year. So I think that would be a mistake to move him forward again. Um, they've obviously still got guys like Green and Whitfield. They've still got plenty of good players, but I just think they 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 probably need to look at this as a sort of... They probably don't need to do a full rebuild because they still do have a good, solid core of players that aren't super old, but maybe taking two years... You know, they got the number one draft pick last year and then maybe taking this year as well to just stock up on a few really solid early picks um, and then attack at the eight again in, what, 2024, um, perhaps. But yeah, I think I think bottom four for them. But same as the Bombers, I could see them finishing as high as 12th, realistically. All right, 14th. I have the Adelaide Crows. Again, not going to have an amazing year, but I can. I was seeing last year the signs of improvement in, the, in their very young team. So I still think they need to work on their list a little bit more. Probably this year look at trading in some more um, experienced players, especially in the midfield, if this is going to be Sloan's last year. Um, I would look at doing that, but I think they got a lot of good young talent. Um, nothing there outside of probably Rochelle that amazes me. Um, they've brought in Rankin, which I think is going to be good. I don't like the idea of him playing midfield. Leave him where he's good. Um, I loved how Fogarty improved last year. I think they've got a really good forward line. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to definitely improve on last year. I could see them winning around eight games, maybe up to 10 games, um, especially if they really start to get back to making the Adelaide Oval a bit of a fortress. So yeah, I think they're going to improve. Another team that I see improving is North Melbourne. I've got them in 13th position. Same reason as Adelaide, natural progression. You just heard me rattle off the numbers in terms of the experience that they have. I think that's a pretty good like balance of experience at your club, having 20 plus players now who have played more than 50 games. I think that's a fantastic spot for them to be in. Clarkson would be thrilled with where they're at now. They've had a bit of a bumpy off season with the accusations leveled at Clarkson last year and then the Taron Thomas stuff and now more Clarkson stuff with him apparently giving it to a reporter. So it's been rocky to begin with, that's for sure. But I think once the season gets underway and Clarko gets back to coaching, there's something I'm very excited to see. What can he do? Like, because we haven't seen Clarko in this place in almost 20 years. When he took over at Hawthorne in, what, 2005 or 2006, um, that was the last time we saw him get his hands on a fresh, young group of players and now he's got that again so it's going to be exciting to watch how north play um you know can they win games in tassie and at marvel it's going to be interesting um 
that they could surprise. They could they could still be in touch of the top eight with maybe a month to go. I'd be blown away if they were seriously contending to make it. But you know, there's always when you got a month to go in the season, there's always like four or five or six teams who aren't in the eight who could still make the eight. Um, so I think I could see North being in sort of that bracket, but I think 13th with maybe eight or 10 wins um, is definitely a possibility for them. I think they're going to improve a lot. In 12th, this is where some of my... <laughs> Remember what the example I gave back at the start of the podcast about Geelong last year? I've got Geelong in 12th this year. 12th position for the reigning premiers. That is correct. Now... Geelong are such a fascinating team. They're my second favourite team. I love Geelong. A lot of St Kilda supporters fucking hate them for some reason. I don't know why. I've got nothing but respect for the way they went about it. Joel Selwood is one of the most amazing players to ever play the game. Him retiring and no longer being captain is a big part of the reason I can see them falling. Another part is it's the same reason basically, that I had them falling out of the eight last year. I thought they were going to be too old. They proved me wrong. But now they've got the combination of being yet another year older and having done it. They won the premiership. It's They're all they're talking a big game at the moment. Lots of players being interviewed saying, oh, you know, we're, we're even better than we were last year. A lot of media saying they're somehow better than they were last year. They might be training the house down shore. Everyone looks good at training in the preseason. Everybody does. And they might start the year pretty well. But when it sorts to get when it gets to like round ten and Dangerfield's legs are getting tired and Blitzars is getting tired and Stanley's getting tired and Tui's getting tired and Hawkins is getting tired. All of these older guys, they still have so many players who are 31, 32, 33, who are around that age where a lot of players hang up the boots, right? And a lot of them are still playing good footy. But I just, if they can, I can see them making finals for sure. They could finish anywhere from where I've got them in 12th to like 6th. If they can finish top four again, I think even if they don't, even if they go out in straight sets, if this team can make the top four again, it will be one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in football. You think about where their list demographic is at and what they just did, right? How, like, you, it would be so difficult to find that motivation as the year starts to drag on and you get tired and you're traveling and all of that. Like, you would just, you would think, is it worth it? I've got a premiership medal. If I'm Isaac Smith, I've got fucking four of them now. <laughs> like, oh, I, I would just seriously be blown away if they can do really well again this year. That's why I've got them in 12th. I think this will be finally the year where Geelong just can't hack it anymore. And they have rejuvenated their list. They traded really well. They bought in Bruin and Henry. Um, so, you know, they've sort of added more youth and they've drafted well. So, you know, there's still a bit of youth and a bit of energy in the place, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. Like I said, I think they'll perform, you know, they'll still win games at home for sure. 
Um, but then, yeah, when it, when it gets into the second half of the year and they just are tired and thinking about, gee, do I retire this year? You know, I get to go spend time with my family now. So many of their players have kids. It's got to be on their mind, surely. Anyway, that they are one of the teams I'm fascinated by the most to see how they go this year. In 11th, I have St. Kilda. St. Kilda in 11th. I last, so last year, I had St. Kilda in 4th. And when we went to our bye, I was correct. We were in 4th position, and everybody knows how the second half of St. Kilda's year went. Not very good. I think, what did we go? 8-3 and three in the first 11 rounds, and then 3-8 in the remaining 11 rounds. So not so we went 11-11 and I think we finished 10th. So I've got us falling one position this year into 11th. I think for I think the first half of the year for us is going to be rough. I think we've basically got an entire, entirely new coaching setup. So they've brought in Harves and Lenny and obviously Ross and a couple of others. Enright's still there from last year and there's a couple of others still there from last year, but it's a lot of change and it'll be an entirely new, it's basically the opposite to how we played under Rats. Ross is talking about fast, high tempo footy, very, very different. And it might take a couple of months of playing it for the players to acclimate to that game style. Like there'll be some who are used to it. Hill's going to love it. Guys like Sinclair and Wanganine Miller are going to love it. Um, Gresh will love it. You know, these sort of, you know, our forwards are going to love it, but it's still going to take a lot of adapting. And then there's also the factor for the first, a lot of the first half of the year, we don't have much of a forward line in terms of talls. Obviously, Max is going to be out for the first, well, it, it's saying the, the word now is going to be back for round seven. I doubt that very much. I think they probably. I don't know when our buy is. I think it's late this year, actually. It might be around 13 um, or 14. So they probably bring him back before the buy, but maybe only for like a fortnight or three weeks. He had a shoulder reconstruction. So they're not going to, you know, bring him back as soon as they think he's ready. They probably say that he's ready and then maybe give him two weeks in the VFL and then bring him back. Because um, he's too important to just throw him back in there. So that's you know that's maybe eight or nine weeks without Max. We're going to be six or seven or eight weeks without Hayes. Um, there's also you know there's also other depth problems there in terms of Allison, who isn't in our best team, but he was going to be the next guy when Hayes went down after Max had already gone down. Everyone's like, right, Matthew, it's your time to go, and then. He got hurt, and he's going to miss basically two-thirds or three-quarters of the season by the looks of it. Um, so we've already got height issues, and if we if another one goes down, God, if someone... God, the, the nightmare is Marshall, or the nightmare is Howard or Wilkie, another one of our irreplaceable key position players, Right. Membry had a minor knee operation last week. Apparently, he's going to be ready for round one, so that's fine. Um, we've got Sharman ready to go. We've got the new guy, Caminiti, who I went to training last week on Friday, and he looks unbelievable. He's only, I think he's 20 or 19, 
He is a big boy. Very, very big boy. I like how he moves. Um, he looks strong. He looks like he's got good hands. So can can he sort of get us through until Max and or Hayes are back? Maybe. Um, they've had Owens sort of playing a key position role at like 193 centimeters, which isn't really big enough. They, they, I saw him in his the second ruck at times at training last week, Owens. So that'll be interesting. Um, I think especially for round one, they're going to want to run with two ruckmen because they got Darcy and Jackson to deal with. So I could see Campbell or Heath playing alongside Marshall in round one. Um, but yeah, the, the reason I've got us in 11th is basically how I think the first half of our year is going to go. We're missing important players already. And it's a, an entirely new game plan that's going to take a bit to adapt to. I think in the second half of the year, we're going to come pretty good. But unfortunately, the second half of the year, I think our um, fixture gets more difficult. First half of the year, we've actually got it kind of easy. And then the second half of the year, we've got it kind of rough. So not much we can do about that. Look, I, I can definitely see us finishing like sixth or seventh or eighth, maybe, um, if, we, if we play really well. But I think more realistically, we're going to be just outside the eight again. And then next year... If we can fucking avoid a preseason without all these fucking long-term injuries, which are shitting me to no end, um, then next year we can sort of start to attack finals a little bit more. In 10th position, I've got the Dogs. The Dogs were a tough one to pick for me. There's one thing about them that worries me a lot. Two things. One of them is that they've lost Dunkley. They're best and fairest. Is their best player by good way last year. He's become one of the best midfielders in the comp, and he's gone to Brisbane. So that isn't very good. Somehow they still have too many midfielders, <laughs> and now they're adding Caleb Daniel in as a midfielder as well. Not sure why they're doing that. So they lose Dunkley. They've still got too many midfielders, and now they've got too many talls. Why are they so tall, right? These are players who I think the dogs were considered to be in their best side. Jamara, Lobb, Darcy, Bruce, Liam Jones coming back, Norton, Tim English, Alex Keith. Eight players. Eight players, all 195 plus. That's just that are in their best side. They've got like Tim O'Brien and a couple of others who wouldn't be in their best side as, as depth. But look, imagine they play all eight of those guys in their in their starting team, right? So you got English in the ruck and probably probably Lob as the second ruck. So Lob also so here's your forward line, tall forwards, right? Jamara Hagen, Aaron Norton, Rory Lob. Yeah, Lob is the second ruck, and then you got English in the middle, and then in the back line because apparently Josh Bruce is going back into defense this year because they've now got Lobb and Eugle Hagen and, and that, you know, ready to go. They've got Darcy, who I don't know where he's going to play. I've heard he's going to keep playing back. I've heard he's going to go forward again. Could he be the second ruck? And then you, so you've got Bruce and Jones and Keith at least as your key defenders, possibly Darcy down there as well. Either way, they've got at least one too many big dudes and some and like guys like Lob and Darcy, they're like two hundred and five centimeters. They're giants. 
I really worry that they're going to be too slow and they're not going to be versatile enough. It's They're going to be, they're all midfielders and talls. It's like all, all that their team is. <laughs> yeah. So like you look, so you got these eight guys and then you think about their midfield. So you've got Trelaw, you've got Bontempelli, you've got Bailey Smith, you've got McRae, you've got, who else have they got in there? Liberatore, obviously, a few other young guys, um, obviously Caleb Daniel running through there now. So, like, I worry about them being, and then, you know, they've, they've got these really good sort of medium flexible players. Bailey Dale, Johannesson, even Bailey Williams. Um, but God, yeah, I just, DeRay is another one. So like they've still got a good team, but I just, I don't know, something rubs me the wrong way about their list composition. That's all. <laughs> okay, in ninth, just missing out on finals. No, it isn't Carlton. It is Collingwood. Collingwood, I don't think you're going to make the eight. I think, don't, no one hurt me, please. I think, I think what Collingwood did in the second half of last year is one of the most insane fucking things that's ever happened in AFL, right? Winning every single game by half a point somehow, getting all the way to a prelim and then almost doing the same thing. Almost stealing a prelim and it was just unbelievable. It, it It's not going to work again. They can't rely on being four goals down at three-quarter time and just finding something and then winning the game somehow. It's unsustainable. And that super fast game style, clubs will have gone to work on it. Because in the last 10 weeks of last year, Collingwood were the most dangerous team in the competition because they'd lull you into a false sense of security and then they'd rip you apart in the last 25 minutes of a game and win somehow every time. I still think they're going to be really good and they could sneak into the eight, but I think, I think, and, and they've still got a relatively young list. They've actually got a really, really good list composition. I think some experience and some youth, Obviously, Dacos is is going to be you know one of the best players in the competition by the end of this year, I would say. Um, that's Nick, obviously. Um, so you know, I think their list is in a really good spot. I just think unless Craig McRae has come up with something new, something more creative, something more versatile in terms of game plan, um, I think teams will have really gone to work on them and they're going to struggle at times to play the way they played last year. They'll still win plenty, especially the MCG. But away from there, I think they're going to be vulnerable. Okay, top eight. Top eight. Eighth position, I have Richmond. I think Richmond are going to get in. You can't ignore that you take a pretty good team already and you add Hopper and Taranto. You can't ignore that. Like... They, they have now got some serious meat in the middle of the ground, and I'm not just talking about the human meatball. Um, they have now got one of the more dangerous midfields in the comp. I worry about their forward line a little bit. Is it going to be too Lynch heavy? Um, I don't know what impact Rewalt's going to have this year. It's got to be his last year, you'd think. 
Um, but they're still incredibly dangerous, Richmond, incredibly dangerous. Um, they're not going to be able to play the way they played 17 through 20 when they were winning the premierships. They're going to need to change it up, be flexible, which I think they will be. I'm, I'm really interested to see how Hardwick goes with now this very deep midfield. Apparently, Martin's going to be 100% forward, which I think is a good idea. Um, apparently, Cochin as well going to be playing forward. So it's going to be fascinating to see. It's going to be fascinating to see how many young midfielders in their squad get a go with these additions as well. Is, is Hardwick going to be able to think for the future or are they going to be really hungry for another cup? It's going to be interesting to see. But yes, I've got them in eighth. In seventh position, I have the Sydney Swans. Now, anyone who follows football closely will know that when you get belted in a grand final, you don't do well the following year. I don't think they're going to do so poorly that they don't make finals. They're still good enough to make finals. They're probably still good enough to make the top four. But what I think is more likely is they finish outside the top four and are out the first week of the finals. I think that is more likely, but they are still going to be an incredibly dangerous team. Very, very dangerous team. Hopefully Franklin can have, this will be his last year, hopefully he can have a really, really big year. Hopefully some of their younger guys can have really big years. Warner, Goulden, these sort of guys. Um, I think this year they will dip. Next year they'll be back again. Incredibly dangerous. It's just what happens. For, for whatever reason, when teams get belted in a grand final, it takes a toll. It's going to... It's fucking rough to get all the way there and then to fail so miserably on the day, on the biggest day of your life. Um, and Sydney is starting to make a habit of losing grand finals. So they lost last year. They lost in 2016. They lost in 2014. Um, so, the, you know, they've, they've lost their last three attempts at a grand final, obviously having one in 2012. But if you're getting there so often... You should be winning more often. So it's, it's rough for them as a club. So I think that's why they won't do as well this year as they did last year, but still make finals. In sixth, I have Carlton. I think they're finally going to do it. I think the heartbreak of what happened at the end of the season last year, which is still, again, just amazing to look back and think about what unfolded in that last round of the season last year, what happened in that game still takes my breath away. Um, I think they will finally get there. I think their list is so good. They've put together a really, really good team. They've somewhat addressed their lack of midfield depth. They brought Akers in, which I think is good. I still worry about them a little bit. So Walsh is already carrying a little bit of um, injuries in the preseason. He should be right as the season sort of gets rolling. But if they lose him or Cripps, or Kennedy um, for any sort of decent amount of time. It, they're going to get exposed a little bit, I think. They've got plenty of other good players in there, but I just worry about that. Um, but, God, other than that, you look at their spine, and it, I think they've got the best spine in the comp. I do, seriously. It's it's amazing. You've got Kerno and Mackay up forward. You've got Weedering down back. You've got... Um, bloody Doherty down back, not really part of the spine, but still 
one of the best defenders in the comp, apparently going to play a little bit more midfield this year. So maybe that's sort of addressing the midfield depth as well. They've got De Koning in there. Um, so yeah, I, I think their list is as solid as anybody's. It's the mental side of the game that is their weakness. So can they can they capitalize on this list that they've got? Can Voss get them there? Can he get them into the top four? I think they're good enough to play top four, to make the top four, I should say. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I think sixth. I think top six is more realistic for them than top four necessarily. In fifth, I have the Fremantles. Fremantle Dockers improving a little bit on last year. Still not convinced they're a top four caliber side. Again, they could definitely make it for sure. Um, I, I still just worry a little bit about their forward line. Fife playing there full time, I think will help. Um, but a big part of the reason I see them improving is having Jackson and Darcy. If the two of them can play 20 plus games each, Fremantle could go all the way. Having two Ruckman like that, and I'm going to say the same thing about Melbourne in a little bit, having two Ruckman like that is invaluable. I'm a firm believer in playing two legitimate Ruckman in your team, but when you have two that are of the best available in the competition, it puts you in another category. Their midfield now, Fremantle, is very good. Their back line is very good. Their forward line is still pretty good as well. Um, I just, I just, how many goals are they going to get out of Jackson and Darcy? That's the one thing, right? And Melbourne have got this same issue with Grundy and Gorn. Like between the two of them, between Jackson and Darcy, you're going to want oh, 30 goals at least, at least more preferably around the 35 to 40 mark, you would think. Darcy, you would say, is the number one ruck, with Jackson probably spending a little bit more time forward than in the middle. They could easily split it 50-50. But when the other one is forward, they need to be kicking goals because relying on Fife, who we know has struggled with set shot goal kicking, relying on Tabana or Tracy or one of these bigger guys we know that they are serviceable, but not a sort of 50-goal-a-season type of player. But I don't know if Fremantle has a 50-goal-a-season type of player in their team, right? So if, if you know, Jackson and Darcy can both end up with 15 goals plus for the season, I think that is an enormous win. And it will send them a long way to, you know, being damaging in finals as well. In the top four, in fourth position, if you've been paying attention, there is a team who you would have thought I would have said already, which I haven't said already, and that is Gold Coast. I've got Gold Coast in fourth, which is another one of my just head-scratchy, interesting decisions, and I don't have any evidence as to why I would say that. <laughs> I don't. Oh, excuse me. Um... Yeah, I don't have any empirical evidence as to why I would say that. But you just look at their the team they've got, right? All these years of investing in high draft picks. Just 
even if you just name three, you go Raul, you go Anderson, you go King, and there's a bunch of others there. Now is their time. They're all like 22, 23, that sort of age. Gold Coast could have five players on their list who fucking explode this year. And I think, I just think this is going to be, I think it's going to be a big year for them. I think they've got the potential to turn Metricon, although it's not Metricon anymore. Um, it's got a, a Heritage Homes Arena. Is that what it is? Um, their home stadium <laughs> into a fortress. It's really got that potential. It's a unique stadium. I think they will start to build more membership and get bigger crowds, intimidating crowds at that arena. Um, and I just think that they could do some real damage this year. You know, I, I, like I could see them jumping right up into the eight and then really getting belted in finals because they just went a little bit too early. But I just look at their list and it is just about the most exciting in the comp. You know, they didn't have King last year, so they bring in Casbolt and Chol, who were remarkable, right? Casbolt, don't know if he plays every week this year, but even just the Chol king combination two talls one of whom is very agile and athletic it makes them really hard to defend and then they got plenty of other good forwards mixed in there their midfield maybe not this year but by the end of the year will be one of the best in the comp and then their back line still has a couple of holes it isn't perfect but it is fucking solid and i think if they don't make finals this year stewie jew's done right? There was questions around him last year. He got a new contract. I think he's still under a lot of pressure. He's been there a while now. They need to make finals and I think they will. I think they're going to make the top four. So I've got Gold Coast in fourth. In third, I have Port Adelaide. I think last year, what happened to them last season was a blip. Just a blip. They lost their first five games and then they just couldn't recover. I don't think that's going to happen this year. The way that they approached the trade period says to me that they think they are serious about this year. They they only ended up with Rioli and Horn Francis. I say only. It's probably not the right word to use. They ended up with, you know, one of the better small forwards that we've seen in like the last five or six years. Real is an incredibly good player when he's playing. He's obviously had his issues, but he's, you know, he's at a new club now, fresh start, all that. And Horn Francis also has had all sorts of public issues with his club and his ice baths and his mum and whatever else, whatever other fucking issues North Melbourne had with him and whatever. Um, but he was still a number one draft pick. And now he's back home in Adelaide. There's been a lot of talk about him. Again, there's a lot of talk about fucking everybody in the preseason. You can't take really any of it that seriously. But I just... And the way that they went after Radigalia and Jack Graham, they were like, we can do it this year. They didn't get some of these players they went after. But I just feel like they are serious. Port Adelaide, they're not going to drop their first five games of the year this year. That won't happen, Right. They're going to be very, very hard to beat in Adelaide. Um, 
and and their their fixture isn't that difficult just looking through it um so yeah i think they're going to bounce back back into the top four again hinkley is under a lot of pressure if they miss the eight again this year he's gone this is his last chance so a lot of pressure on ken hinkley in second i have melbourne melbourne right back up to the very very top of the teams in the competition the grundy gone combination is going to be unfair it's a little bit unfair if you ask me the two best ruckmen of the last decade going to the same club um granted both of them are, you know at the pointy end of their career gone especially um but they're still two of the best going around Gorn is probably still the best going around, or at least last year he was. Um, so I don't know how anyone is going to beat their midfield. When you've got Grundy and Gorn feeding it down to Petrarca and Oliver and these guys, how do you beat them? How? And they've still got all those weapons up forward and all those weapons down back. I just don't know how you beat them. So I've got Melbourne in second. And then in first, Brisbane. Brisbane will be minor premiers. I think this has got to be their year. They've been up there for, what, four years now, up the top. Not been able to make a grand final, let alone win one. But now they've added Dunkley. They've added Gunston. They've added the kid, Ashcroft, who is apparently this year's Dacos. This has to be their year. I've got Brisbane winning the whole thing, not just the minor premiership, but the premiership itself. I've got the Lions winning that. I've got Ashcroft winning the Rising Star. I think he's going to have a Dacos-like um, year. There's others like Sheasel and that who are also going to have really good years. Um, but no, I think it'll be Ashcroft. I've actually got the Brownlow medalist. This I don't know many people who will predict this. I've got Luke Davies-Uniac winning the Brownlow medal. I saw him at a pub um, in Melbourne a few weeks ago, and I just I saw it as a sign. He's a big boy. He's looking fit. Oh, God, excuse me. Um, and yeah, just the fact that I, that I saw him out in public, I saw it as a sign. I'd been thinking about who I thought was going to win the Brownlow this year, and there's all the normal guesses that people, oh, it'll be, it'll be Neil, it'll be... Dacos, it'll be Walsh, it'll be Steel, it'll be Wines again, you know, whatever. Um, so I like having a little bit of a left field guess, and I do think it'll be LDU, because especially if North can win eight or ten games, that's right around that area where, you know, clubs that win that number of games often have the Brownlow medalists, because they'll be by a long way the best midfielder in their team. I think he's their best midfielder. I don't know if he's the best by a long way, but he was the best in their midfielder, best in their midfield. So not a lot of his teammates stealing votes off him. This is why, like, Petrarca and Oliver, you're not going to see them winning a Brownlow medal right, while they're playing with each other, at least, because they just take votes off each other, you know? Um, but yeah, LDU. He's my guy. All in on LDU. Coleman medal, Ben King. Back from the ACL, his team's going to play finals. He's kicking 60 goals. 
I've got a feeling about that as well. Those are my predictions for this season 2023 coming up. I'll quickly quickly run you through what I ended up with with the um, ladder predictor before I finish up. Oh, shut up, dogs. You can hear the fuckers barking. Um, so with my ladder predictor, it was kind of similar to what I had um, in first, Port Adelaide, pretty close. In second, Lions, pretty close. In third, Frio, also pretty close. Had Sydney in fourth, so better than I thought they were going to go. Carlton in fifth, pretty close. Um, Melbourne down in sixth. I think they've got a pretty rough draw, so whether they can overcome that or not, I don't know. Um, Richmond in seventh, which is very close as well. Gold Coast down in eighth, so maybe they have a tougher draw than I've realized. Uh, Geelong in ninth, so still not making finals, but doing a little bit better than I thought. St Kilda in 10th, so pretty close. Collingwood in 11th, pretty close. Dogs in 12th, I think that was bang on. Oh no, that's where I had Geelong. Anyway, close. Um, Crows 13th, Giants 14th, Dons 15th, North 16th, so a bit lower than I had them predicted. And then Eagles and Hawks 17th, 18th. What I predicted, what I had predicted, and then I sort of followed through with the finals and I had Brisbane defeating Fremantle in the grand final. So a lot of that was pretty close. I, th- I think, like, I just do that for a bit of fun. I think once the season gets going, a lot of these pre-season predictions just go out the window because there'll be some team, there'll be like an Essendon who somehow play finals out of nowhere because they, like, you know, there'll be some random team who does the complete opposite of what everyone's going to think. Or there might be like Melbourne that don't make finals or something, you know. It'll be... There's always stuff that is just impossible to predict uh, that happens. Like Port Adelaide last year, losing their first five games and not making finals. Not many people would have seen that coming, you know, that sort of thing. Or Collingwood winning, like, what did they win their last 10 of their last 11 games or something? And they and they finish in the top four. So um, a lot of things that are really, really difficult to predict but I got pretty close with my ladder predictor there. So it gives me a little bit of confidence. Obviously, when you do a ladder predictor, you don't predict any upset victories. So, and you basically get at least one of those a week. So maybe I will end up being miles off. So anyway, it's just a little bit of fun. That is my ladder prediction for this year. I do plan to revisit it in a time capsule at the end of the year, I did say I was going to do that last year and then I just didn't bother because <laughs> um, I just couldn't be fact. And also because I got a lot of shit wrong. Um, but no, I do intend to revisit it post-season and see how much shit I got wrong. Now, the season starts in, what, three weeks. Three weeks from today, I think it is. Um, so that's... Or three weeks from tomorrow, I should say. Um, so that's very, very exciting. Only other footy podcast I'll do before then is my St. Kilda season preview. Um, other than that, it'll be my round one review once that's all said and done, unless there's some crazy news story I feel like talking about. Um, so yes, yeah, so I will do my full um, St. Kilda season preview where I'll talk about basically every single player talk about our fixture, talk about what I what my predictions are, what I'm excited for, different position change. I'll cover everything that you can possibly think of heading into St. Kilda's season. Um, it's one of my two St. Kilda-only podcasts I do 
for the year and do a preview at the start and a review at the end. Um, so yeah, that's the only footy podcast I'll be doing between now and then. Um, in terms of other podcasts, I'm going to get my Oscar predictions out in the next week um, because the Oscars are the Oscars are just before round one starts. I think they're on the Sunday um, or the Monday in Australia before round one starts. So I'll get that done before then. And then on the 1st of March, we've got The Mandalorian coming back. So podcast time is busy once again. It's a very exciting time of year. That will do me for now. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye.